For full accident management support, including motor replacement, repairs and personal injury compensation claims, just search G4 Claims today. Uh, hi and welcome to this week's episode of the DW Podcast. I am joined by Kerzo. For those that have heard the Kerzo, for those that are into the casual scene with their clothes, this man needs no introduction. For those that maybe haven't and listened to this podcast regularly, let me give you a wee introduction. So I, before we started recording, I said to Kerzo, oh, what would you say, bring some of the best bits of your collection? And he says, I'm not a collector. And I've heard him say this many, many times, so I'm going to read you uh, a little paragraph here from Collective Disorder, uh, and this is by Kerzo himself. Ah, uh, you're the trainer collector guy, aren't you? No, for the thousandth time, I'm not the fucking trainer collecting guy, but I do wear trainers, have done for more than 30 years, just like everybody else I know who's my age. The difference between them and me is that in July 1978, I, or rather my mum, bought a pair of Adidas joggers for me to go on holiday, and this is where my appreciation, not a collection of trainers, began and continues to this day. How is that? Perfect. <laughs> Can you put it better myself? Does that sum it up? <laughs> Pretty much. Aye. Um, was like, I mean, not, nothing against collectors, but a collector for me is somebody that buys something that they actually be able to look at it enough, you know. So, one of ten is like, I just love trainers. Um, and I discovered early doors that you buy a pair of trainers and you wear them to death and then chuck them away. Don't have three pairs, rotate them, and you'll always have them, and you'll never, you know. It was, like, um, it was a very simple um, equation, uh, and that's basically how I ended up with so many. I always say to people, um, like, oh, how many pairs of trainers? Like, well, it doesn't matter. It's like, how many pairs of trainers have you bought over the last 30 years? Aye. And I'm like, oh, hundreds of them. Exactly, I've like, just not chucked any away. <laughs> and literally, people would have the same amount if they had kept them all. It's, it's an easy way to look at it. <laughs> I think uh, one of the things that is a problem for people, and you've always went through this yourself, is where do you keep them? And uh, you, you've had to convert uh, your lot. Yeah, you absolutely. Um, and again, um, the space is always a problem, but I've got these habitat boxes which have four pairs of each, and then there's other boxes which have three pairs of each, and then other <laughs> ones which have two pairs of each. Unlike people who like their trainers box fresh, I wouldn't have the room, you wouldn't be able to move. Um, so, nah, it's, but again, it, it's kind of getting to the stage where <laughs> the, the garage is bursting, the loft's bursting. Um, I, I, it's, it's probably just as well that I've kind of pared back a bit. <laughs> Let's take it way back to the start and, and where this began for you. you. You've brought this 1978 Adidas. Adidas footwear catalogue. Um, this was. I got this in the 90s um, from a friend and it was like oh, that's a jogger that was the ones that started it and it was the one, the ones that started it for me I totally adored these things because up to then every pair of trainers you had it was like Mars Bar trainers work rest play absolutely kicked playing football and stuff like this but these I actually got them for going on holiday and they were a thing of beauty and I literally wore them till they fell off my feet Adidas joggers yeah there wasn't a bit of sweat on them and from that point it was like oh, you just appreciated it. I, I don't know if it was the colours or whatever, because at, at the same time, there was a guy at my school who had Adidas Hawaii, which are the, effectively the same trainer, but in a different, different colourway. Um, and it was like, right, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to be kicking a muddy ball in these. Aye. So it was basically like a light bulb going up in the head. These, these were a fashion item, you know, and they looked amazing. And from then, um, it, it kind of grew. What age were you then? 
12. Right, honestly, yeah. Yeah, I just kind of started, started going to Fir Park, um, and lucky enough that my best mate, um, he was Catholic, I was Protestant, both sets of parents were absolutely delighted when they started going mellow because they didn't want us to do the whole sectarian route. We played football together, but his mum and dad were brilliant because the time Mother were in the first division, rather than have us kicking about every second week, they would take us to away games really? and they would go shopping while we went to the game. <laughs> no way. You learn to grow up pretty quickly when you realise you're in the, the wrong end, like in St Johnson, you know, and it's like there's people want to kill you because you're wearing a Motherwell scarf. But it was great because they literally took his hair, St Johnson, Dundee, whatever, um, and for 1978, it was the Motherwell thing. And obviously, you've got to wear something, so you want a nice new pair of trainers and whatever. So that was, that was kind of it. Um, and kind of how it moved on to the whole obsession thing was um, they'd been playing football for the school, um, and then in my for Jervis and stuff like that. And every year we seem to go a lot abroad. Right. Gone to um, Denmark, Belgium, and every place you went, there was inter-sport trainer shops. <laughs> Before inter-sports came always, always wanted uh, to bring back, if it was a pair of boots, it was a pair of trainers. Sure. Something different to what everybody right. else had. And that mentality just stayed from then. Um, always wanted to be something a wee bit different for everybody else. And I remember that. reading... Uh, I think it was reading or listening to an interview done you says about the trip to Denmark That's and you were like every day piled off the bus and Jefferson Youth Club under 14s I mean basically you know like it was mother you know everybody was just like totally hyper and they did literally put the, tra- the trainers and the boots out in pairs big mistake one person who worked at this big sports shop and it was like, it was carnage, man. Everybody come back with something. I got a pair of Alan Seams and Puma boots, but I paid for them. I didn't have the balls to actually, <laughs> I didn't have the balls to steal them. But everybody was just literally leaving behind their, their crappy old trainers on the rack. <laughs> the and new ones. And clacking up down the street. <laughs> um, I always remember um, Starky Brian Stark got a pair of these Patrick Silver Kangaroo Skin boots. I don't know what they were called, but it was the first time we'd ever seen it. Like it was like, my God. Things are beauty, do you That's know what I mean? But uh, I uh, kind of, it was, it was, it broadened the mind, put it that way. <laughs> you touched on the mother thing there, you know, this is 78 that you're talking about. Yep. I suppose 83 was probably the big changing point for you. Yep. Uh, formation of the Morrow Saturday service. How did that affect your life? It was, it, well, it, to be honest, it was pretty organic because look, when you're actually on the ground, you, you don't actually realise this is kind of happening. But all the guys I was playing football with, um, Worst thing all um, and they were like, got a DL braid horse or whatever, but I was very well But the good thing about that was be, um, before it was it was actually really dodgy for me to come in my little because mm. it's hard to explain to people now who'd understand the gang culture was huge. I mm. mean, it was like there was two gangs in Bell Sill, um, the Tartan Toy and the Moss Cross, <laughs> and it was like when you're when you're twelve year old, ten year old, it's like it seems a laugh, but thinking about it now. Every weekend we'd go down to Calder and it was like Forgewood and Moss End. Yeah. And it was full on absolute warfare. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Literally people getting battered to within an inch of their life. If you were in Motherwell and somebody knew you were for Bell Sill, it was like, oh, do you know what I mean? The football took that away. And mm-hmm. even at the point of, like, when I was playing with Jefferson, we used to train down at the Calder every Wednesday. And for the first couple of years, he used to get chased him every night. We were sitting waiting in the lift, and somebody came out, the like, Jerry boys, and it was like, ah. Once they knew you for the football, it was fine. fine. It mm. was great. Um, the the dressing thing, as I say, I mean, it's, 
it's been spoken about loads and loads of times about how Steph come up for leads and stuff like that. And you don't actually realise it's happening, um, but sooner or later it's like that. Which can so I mean literally bought my first rig and it was like yellow Pringle pair of bleach jeans, um, and you just you just fit in because everybody your age is doing that and that was the thing but my mother latched on it right away you know what I mean it was like Aberdeen obviously coming down but at the time it was a mixture um, and and at first for those that are maybe listening to this and thinking. Because, you know, before that, you probably had, what, mods, teddy well, boys, rockers? Four, 14 year olds, and I was like, embraced the mod thing wholeheartedly at, sure. at, to, to the point of it being an obsession, you know? It was like, I was going to be getting like, me to measure more hair suits and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know? And kind of, like, um, was totally down the line. Because um, I am, By the time 1983 came along, I was 17, I had my first scooter, I was a scooter boy. Sure. Um, I'd kind of get out the, the mod thing. But... <laughs> Strange though it may seem. Um, the scooter thing was huge. Um, what was the founder member of the Dirty Dozen Scooter Club? Are they still I, going? Yeah. I've got another Vespa just now, which I'm just about to chop up. Um, but at the time, <laughs> from thinking about this, it's absolutely mad as well. Casuals on the scooter scene, there was probably about half a dozen, and you're going to scooter rally with 10,000 people. And basically, it was like, you were basically the odd ones out getting battered for everybody it was like local skinheads um, basically scooter boys hated us you know I mean literally you can imagine it I remember once drove down to Colwyn Bay on my own because I couldn't get the day off work I had to drive down on Friday night I was driving through Liverpool I get bricked going through Liverpool with these different scallies just coming out throwing bricks at me because I was on the scooter go to Colwyn Bay couldn't find the rest of the scooter club woke up in the morning um, and basically this time I had like the um, the old Charlie Nick perm the old yellow pringle bleach jeans uh, pair of Diodora Masters um, and basically spent the whole weekend getting kicked up in the place <laughs> by bouncers um, local skinheads other scooter boys and I was like why am I doing this and then you'd see a couple of guys from Norfolk on their full Tashini tracksuits and Lambretas and like ah smart ass Surprisingly enough, the only other ones were a couple of guys for Airdrie. Honestly, <laughs> yeah, no way. Yeah, yeah. Don't want to admit yeah. that. Sorry? Don't want to admit that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, it, was, it was a kind of strange time because I was still heavily into the skater and embraced the, the, the whole casual thing, going into the football. Um, uh, but at the time, you, you don't realise everything you're doing is totally groundbreaking. It's just, it's just natural. You're just young, you know what I mean? It's like just, just the norm. I think <laughs> that's what I find so fascinating about it, Kirzo, because... We'll maybe touch on this a wee bit later, but I feel nowadays there's so many people that are clones of each other, right? And back then, I think, if you're turning up at a scooter rally in a yellow Pringle jumper, it, it's so Spaceman. away from the norm. Spaceman, you know, honestly. And, and I, I don't get how, when people started dressing like that, the rest of them are going, nah, that's no on. That's ridiculous. <laughs> people embraced it. I don't, well... Over, not people, overnight. People of our age group embraced it because it was, like, it was new. I mean, like, the older generation... You know, like getting fancy hairdos and like, but they didn't realise and basically until it came when it was like after the game or whatever and you're like um, but you just felt you were part of a select club you know mm-hmm. what I mean that was that that was a joy yeah. it totally was because um, again the model being the size that it is um, it never really grew in a huge proportion sure. you know what I mean it was always it was still the same faces if just be told <laughs> you know um, and kind of everybody knew everybody else how did how did that relate to what was happening on the terraces? I've heard you talk before about a lot of this is to do with it was the eighties. There was mass unemployment. There was Thatcherism. Again, was... it's like I've been going to the games since nineteen seventy eight, and you, you, 
hard though it is to comprehend. The violence before the casuals was ten times worse than it ever was Honestly, during yeah. the peak years of the casuals. Yeah. Get on this, it's like before the Mullow, before Fifth Park had developed, right, and where the East Stand was, basically was split in the middle between home and away fans. Big metal chain fence um, down the middle. Mullow End was called the Puppy Den, right, and that's where all the hardcore fans went. At half time, they used to open the back of it <laughs> so the fans in. could go <laughs> behind each goal because basically people were used to watching their team playing from behind the goals that they want. It was kind of, again, total carnage. It pissed up people basically like a full on riot at half time. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever Celtic and Rangers came to town, it was like boozed up thousands of just total thugs, um, skinheads, you know, punks. The violence literally was ten times worse than it ever was. You in the car. The thing about the casual was it, it, it gentrified the violence, if you like, sure. um, because it kept it. Took a lot of it outside the ground. Um, all this rubbish about oh, the range beats. It never happened. It's, if you happen to bump into another mob, then fair enough. Yeah. You know, it's and, not like you had like, phones back then. It's as tall as a day. Nine times out of ten, it's just a posture and running. That it very rarely comes to, like, you know, actual physical violence. Um, but it did, I mean, it actually civilised it um, and took, because the people that were doing it then had got that much older, we were a new generation going through, and it would have been easy for us just to continue drinking wine, getting steaming, going to Sailing Rangers and getting absolutely full of it. And, but um, it, it gave a different focus because it was like, what you wearing? And I, I used to love that, so you would have a dean come down, man, it was like, what are you wearing? That's the first thing you done, check it, see if there's anything new, anything you haven't seen before. Uh-huh. Um, and it was it was difficult, not no difficult, but it was different times because you didn't have information on the internet. Yep. Try to find out about stuff. Um, I always talked to my mate Shunter about this. Shunter was one of the first Aberdeen casuals. He used to write to the Sounds. Really? Yeah. Sound, it was Sounds Music Magazine. Yeah, it was yeah. basically a place where like, basically people talked about it. So it was Sounds and what was the other one, The Face? Um, no. The Face and The End were the, were the two kind of that, um, that came out of it. And I think the first article ever um, came out was, was The Face, but it had been going for a wee while um, at that point. But it's not as if you actually conversations with guys through other places and stuff sure. like that. So it was all kind of word of mouth and going down to games in England and seeing what the English guys were wearing as well. Yep. Everybody was heavily influenced by that. But a lot of it just came through guys deciding, oh, I'm going to do something a bit different. I mean, Mullow was like huge for it. I mean, it literally was. Um, coming up with different fashions every couple of months and, you know, something worked, something did they get away at myself, you know? It's like... Um, you hear this sto- constantly, constantly moving. You hear the stories of like Liverpool going abroad, or Aberdeen going abroad, and that's where they were getting their different fashions from. Yeah, Motherwell. Where did it come from? Uh, the Leeds thing was huge, um, and again, it's like I mean, stories told of like, guys just literally getting a train down to London on a Wednesday, you know, and like coming back up in the overnight one, and getting out to set a focus on a Thursday with this new gear. <laughs> just basically. They knew the shops that were going to, um, they knew the labels they wanted. Glad, I mean, Glasgow was pretty good for it, to be honest. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was, it was some, yeah, it was a kind of treasure trove. Um, but as I say, you had to get it right because, you know, you wanted other people to pick up on it. Um, but as I, as I say, it's, no, it's hard to comprehend just how fast moving it was. You yeah. know, like over the, the, the first five or six years, you went through like five, six different total style changes, hairs, you know, for, uh, labels, and um, it was it was brilliant because like, every week you didn't know what was going to happen. What was the reaction from 
the general football fans or the, the Motherwell support that were in the casuals, were they looking at you thinking, I just can't get my head around I, this? I, I always seem to remember that basically everybody always did support of you because <laughs> it was like they were, they were really, you know, kind of making a name for ourselves if you, if you like. Um, you know, the, the infamous headlines and stuff like that. Um, but no, it's, Motherwell was known as, as a casual town. Mm. It's as simple as that, you know. Um, so I, it's... Uh, even some of the older ones sort of try to get down the route um, it, but it was strange because we were all you know from what 15 to 18 vast vast majority mm-hmm. if you were older than that you were kind of out the loop if you were younger you weren't allowed in the loop you know sure. um, but that was again you don't take much notice at the time because it's just your day to day and normal life yeah. um, but true what it said I mean it's like without us designer labels wouldn't exist you know you wouldn't have Ralph Lauren Armani and stuff like that we were the ones that actually got it before it was popular to do it this is, this is something that I, I think is really vital and important to touch on right because at first I would imagine we've seen this over the years with Burberry trying to distance themselves when people you know down south or even in Scotland are wearing the skip caps you know or we don't want associated with these working class people for council estates but I think now brands are beginning to realise hold on the now that's our target market totally Totally, and perfect case in point is Adidas with the special range. And it's so football orientated; it's unbelievable. And the guys that are running it come from like a football background. Um, obviously, the, like, the Stone Island thing is absolutely huge. Um, but I mean, back like late eighties, early nineties, very, very few people even knew what Stone Island was. Mm-hmm. Never mind Marcel Austin or CP Company or anything like that. Um, it was just a very, very expensive, exclusive brand mm-hmm. um, and then when football did pick up on it and then it went into the clubs and then it just went through the roof you know sure. uh, but no I mean the, the terraces had the potential to actually make or break a label yeah. you know <laughs> it's true it's absolutely true um, you've had that experience as well where you know your your own personal experience with Aquascoop and more, more recently in the, the recent CP book as well. I remember going to CP exhibition in, in, in Blackburn. I was, was down. I, uh-huh. and I, I went down with my missus and I was looking through and I was like, that's Kerzo in this book. And she's gone, who's he? And I was saying, oh, it's this guy from Wales. And she couldn't get her head around it. One page was you and I think the next page or the page after was No Gallagher. He was uh, getting shot the same day as me. Right. Um, it's a funny story. But, I mean, again, it's like... True stranger in fiction, I have no idea how it came about, but um, obviously it's in the middle of the pandemic. Right. I got a phone call, um, and it was a, a, a guy um, who had basically done the I Use a Master Mosty book. Right. Uh, totally sound, uh, and he's like, that. cares on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done a project for CP Company, it's 50th anniversary. We wondered if you would like to be involved. We're basically asking 50 people worldwide who have a connection to the brand um, to be photographed. Um, and the original intention was to go to Milan, <laughs> go into the CP archive, pick out um, something from the archive and have a little story about it and then get photographed. Um, but the pandemic obviously put that on, uh, put the kibosh in that. So it, it went from being four days in Milan to a day in London. Um, then getting a photo shoot in Shoreditch, and it was no Gallagher, myself. I think Ida Thorpe was there as well. Um, we used to design for CP Company, and it was it was just bizarre. But what made it special from my point of view was I'm the only one in the book 
gassed to bring my own stuff to. No way. Everything I'm wearing is mine. Really? Yeah. Everybody else had to choose Pick for the from the archive. Right. And they specifically said, like, no, but you need to bring. Then that's basically the reason. What did you take? Um, it's well, it's a an aviatic kind of sample parka. It's like it's, the design's been used a couple of times, but it looks like a bronze. It almost looks like a metal jacket. Sure. But it's a CP company jacket, whereas like, all the, the, the Navy Arctic stuff from Plain had been Bonneville. Sure. And it was just, it was perfect. You know, it was like big funneled hoods. This, um, and and uh, yeah, um, and I, I said to him, let's just how, why, why did you ask me? And he's like, it's just, no, no, we've been canvas opinion for like, a couple of years and basically your name kept plumb up. Like, all right, okay. Um, but that, when, when they told me that, I was like, it's chuffed as hell, man. That's amazing. Really chuffed out. Like <laughs> Where do you put that down? I mean, you, you've been you've been spoken about in these circles for many, many years, but how did you go for that wee guy for Bell Cell on the Terrace to the one everybody talks about? I'll tell you how it actually came about. And it's a bit of a shaggy dog story, but... Um, Right at the start of like, the, the, the internet boom, um, there was a couple of um, websites about which had message boards. You know? um, Terrace Retro was a, a guy from Liverpool had this um, website called Terrace Retro, which was again just reminiscing about you know, the, the great 80s. This is in the, the early 90s. Sure. Um, but they also had a message board in which you could actually post up, and it was so funny because basically what you had was like guys from different areas of the country who had led parallel lives you know yeah. we were all the same age we were all in the same things it just so happened that we were from different parts of the country yeah. and through that you kind of gravitated towards guys who were the same mindset same sense of humour in the same clothes still passionate about it still going to football same music things probably as well eh? the music thing was huge yeah. That that's how it actually sort of solidified because the other guys in Liverpool Phil Thornton, mm -hmm. Steve Corner, who's also in the book, they were doing this thing called Partisan, sure. right, which was a, a music night in Liverpool. So every couple of months, we'd all just hook up down in Liverpool. Really? Um, and through that, basically, it's like my circle of friends became these guys. Um, and then you get Phil wrote the, the Casuals book. Yep. It was the first Casuals book. It's um, probably the best as um, well, isn't it? And again, it was... Phil was actually really disappointed. It sold so many copies, but his, his initial one was going to be so much more concentrated on the brands and the photographs and stuff. But the publishers, were like, they wanted to focus more on the, the stories. And, yeah. and, all that. and it was basically a bit of give and take. And he did what he had to do to, do, to get it published. Um, but he, he always said, he said, it could have been so much better. And it would have been so much better, you know, because mm -hmm. he's such a you know, brilliant writer. Absolutely. All the guys were. Um, and through that, um, obviously, it's like, when you start posting on message boards, other people find it, so and then they, they come in. You, you basically, you can sort of repeat for the chaff, and what you're left with is like a core group of guys who are unbelievably talented in different areas, you know what I mean? Guys with amazing jobs, and brilliant writers, and, and it just kind of snowballed. And it's kind of died, died a bit now, obviously. Was that um, the same before. forum that turned into 80s casuals? Or yeah, was that, no, but, but that, that became, basically we went from Terrace Retro, um, to, and it was partisan media and Crooked Tongues was the trainer site. Yep. Crooked Tongues was huge, absolutely huge. Still on the ground. I mean, it, was, it was more geeky. I don't know if it's I don't know if it is, but really? I mean, it, it was um, run. Uh, what's his name again? Cracking guy. Um, he actually moved to America. He worked for um, Adidas, um, right. and that was that. Then became um, the, the site. It, it was more, it was more geeky, and then age casuals come along, sure. and it, 
again, this, it was so it was just it was funny. It was hilarious because you get all these old school hooligans coming on, basically talking about, oh, we've done this or that. And then the guys were just ripping them apart. Honestly, <laughs> it's so funny. You did every every single day, and um, you were getting so many brilliant stories. Um, and as I say, the, the friendships continued to this day. I mean, it was like been so many trips abroad for forties and fifties and stuff like that. And um, even at the point of like going to football and stuff like that. Um, and that's basically everybody became known, um, more so through their. Their, their names rather than their real names it was what they posted yeah. as you know yeah. um, guys guys like my mate Sean um, Supergar 49 <laughs> some, honestly some of the stuff he used to do and we, we ended up even though I've got one of the things we should do as well we ended up getting gigs like lunch in Puma Argentina no way yeah yeah we did this from start to finish and basically you can keep this up if you in the heads this is basically all the guys writing we that's amazing bits and bobs um, from Anfield to Argentina the, the fabled um, oh my Puma God. Argentina these were a legendary chain in Liverpool that you know people say ah oh, they did exist they didn't exist and um, you used done the launch for this? I basically coordinated the whole thing and it was I was given a budget by Puma and like, we wanted to do like an old school fans you know like, no problem no and that's problem exactly what this looks like it's exactly what it is and the writing in it is brilliant honestly um, but you've got guys like Phil Thornton and Peter Hutton and stuff like that that's incredible um, so that <laughs> I just find I just find it amazing, you know, that you just went through these people who were demonised by the newspapers. You know, you were having a real influence in culture, and fashion, and music all across the country. Yep. You absolutely. know, and, and at, at very early age, you were written off as thugs, as people that, you know, I, again, the, the dregs like, of society. It now, has look to be, at this. Said, the, the internet did weed out basically the meatheads from the guys who. So intelligent, so talented, and uh, you can't help it. It's like, I mean, it, it, it's your youth. It's like you love football, you love fashion, you love music. Obviously, you're going to write about it, um, yeah. you know. And as I say, that was the thing. It was like parallel lives. We were all eating parallel lives until it came to a point of like, oh, we could actually talk to each other about it. Mm-hmm. You couldn't in the early days, um, but that's what gave us stuff to talk about. You, you know, know? There, there must be people all over the country still to this day. You know, you've got these rivalries like Celtic Rangers, your mother allergies. Manchester United, Liverpool, blah, 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 right? Yeah. The, the list is endless. But when you break it down, you take away the football teams, uh-huh. it's all people with the totally. exact same interests. Absolutely. You know, they're, they're more similar than they want to admit. Yep, yep. Mm. Um, uh, again, even like Scotland, England, um, mm. when, was it, was it, I'm trying to remember what year it was, maybe the 2000 um, Euro playoffs or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, my flat in Bells Hill, it was like, must have been, I don't know, a dozen guys, half of them English, half of them Scottish. And it's like we all had tickets for the game, and it's like we all met up after that and all went out after that. And it's like, this, this, is, this is totally unheard of. Do yeah. you know what I mean? It's like guys from Derby, uh, Forest, uh, I used to go down clubbing there quite a bit. And I actually did a season ticket for Derby County when they were in the Premier really? League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was a stage where I was going down south probably two weeks out of every four. To go clubbing, I'd get the train down on a Friday night, go to Renaissance, and or is that one of the big clubs down there? Mansfield, the Renaissance, yeah, it was like, sure. I mean, it was absolutely huge. Um, but then the Saturday afternoon, it was like my mate lived in Big Lloyd, lived in Elkiston, which is half forest, half Derby, it's right on the border. Um, and I, I could have chosen one way, I ended up going to with Derby, and it was uh, again, it was brilliant. I did that for a good few years, um, going clubbing, football, um, and 
again, it's like you, you, you meet another group of people and it's like, oh, how do you know? Because Lowy, I didn't even know. He was a scooter boy as well. He was in the North Britannia, which was like the biggest scooter club in Britain at the time. He was running the things that we were going to. And only later in life do you exactly. discover like, uh, we've been, so been in the same places place at the same uh, time yeah. and didn't know about each other. Because yeah. um, again, it's like a huge part of my life was um, Northern Soul, All Nighters. It's like came for the, the mod thing and started going to All Nighters. And for 10 years, it was like a total obsession. Um, like I used to do the door up at the All Nighter up in um, Shorts. Um, and how can it was this? Casuals ah, on yeah. the Northern scene but even rarer than casuals on the scale scene, yeah. you know? Um, so the ones that were there sort of gravitated towards each other. My mate Bernie was from Nottingham, we used to go and see Forest. Guys, Hibs, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was like these, like Edinburgh had a huge soul scene. Mm-hmm. A couple of the guys were casuals going with Hibs, and it's like, oh, let us get a bit dodgy, but it didn't, because basically you were into the same thing, mm-hmm. you know? To keep it quiet, you know, you couldn't tell at the time. <laughs> I mean, this was still in the 80s. Um, could you tell you had mates with fucking hips? You know what I mean? I mean that wouldn't be doing too well. But then, when Ricky started the whole street raving thing, he started getting to know guys saying that, and it's like, look, why do you want to come and end up? Like, just come and enjoy it, do you know what I mean? And, you know, for the most part, it worked. <laughs> you mentioned a name there that I hope we'll get in the podcast at some point, is, is Big Ricky McGowan, who started Street Rave, still does colours to this day, you know, was involved with the dressers, but with you as well. He was. How, how did the the 90s rave scene merge into the casual scene, and, and do you think that kind of diluted the casual scene, it took people away from it? It seems like you hear these stories, of, you know, the, the drugs and the clubs made people a bit more mellow. I, I don't know about mellow, but basically it was, it was, it was a simple equation. Um, if you went to a club and you kicked off, you were going to get back in. Mm-hmm. You know, with me, it was what basically went from like soul scene into like the subclub. Subclub was notoriously difficult to get into. Um, and when I eventually started getting in there regularly, I can, I can say honestly, hand in heart, and I've been going there since 1991, never seen a fight in the place. No. I mean, I've been literally, you know, don't know how many times, hundreds upon hundreds, never seen a fight in the place. Because it's, they knew, it's like, you just wouldn't get back in. So it's like, oh yeah, I mean, you could tell right away. I mean, all you have to do is look at something like that. Ah, fuck my boy, fuck my boy. You know, just, yeah. just for the labels and stuff like that. Um, and then it started crossing over, you know. Um, and I have to say just now, it's like I, I wasn't like big on street rave or anything like sure. that. Um, I was still into um, kind of soul music, but where it did come together was at the weekenders, going to Southport and places like that. And again, it was huge in Motherwell. You yeah. know, Jimpy used to run buses all the time. Club Nine was the one where like, basically we, we did come together. Yeah. Um, uh, Yogi, uh, Yogi, Yogi's a huge yeah. influence in me as well yeah. musically, um, and and again he. Was living through in Edinburgh, knew all the Hibs boys, had a bit of trouble with the Hibs boys, but it was it wasn't a case of like, um, they just stopped getting violent because they were taking pills or anything like that. It was just common sense. Do you yeah, know what I mean, it's sure. like, you don't want to ruin it for themselves and for other people. Um, I mean, there, there, was, <laughs> there, there are a few incidents that uh, you could talk about, but but you know you're never going to get that amount of people of that age group together. From different areas when there's no going to be trouble. Mm-hmm. Not today with fit bar and anything like that. It's just territorial rivalries, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, so, uh, it was, it was, again, 
Did you do a bit of DJing yourself? I had ah, still, I've, I've ah, still studio decks, records. Records are my biggest passion. It's, it's, it's not clothes or trainers, it's, it's music. But you um, don't collect records? I do collect records, right. that's the thing, that's the only thing I do collect, right. um, is records, I get about 15,000. Honestly, um, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good hell. Um, I dread to see that assessment, it must be stacked it's, up to it's, the world. It's the guys, you need to start going through them, really. it's like <laughs> too, too, too many, too many, I need to read it out. Um, but no, that was, I mean, that, that's always been the obsession, um, it's been music, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, to the point of, look. Making pilgrimages to Detroit just to, yeah. to, to see, you know, very, very underground resistance. Jeff Mills done that, did the thing. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> but the, the, the thing I'd keep coming back to is like, everybody's saying, oh, it's like, oh, it's been amazing. It's like, it, it just, it's just your normal day to day life. You don't think you're doing anything special yeah. at the time. And it's like, everything's brand new, or the music's new, or the, you know, the clothes. It's just growing up. Absolutely. You know, it's only now that you can look back and like, that's never going to happen again, man. No. And, and it won't. It's, you know, it's like we've done it. It's mm-hmm. like the, the, the quote I always use is like, we wrote the book, they're reading it. Aye. You know, because it's like, and you always, you always want to say, you know, you know yourself, they're going to the Fitbit and the different generations. They're obviously influenced by us, but it's like, you just want to say, I mean, I get tired watching the young guys now, honestly. It's like, my God, I love the passion. And it's like, I wonder if anybody's actually going to commit and sort of do something, you know, Dress wise, and like which will basically get a wee shake up. Because there was one point, um, I was looking at everybody, and it was just like, oh, I feel a tried to, left try it's like, it's like, look at come up with something new. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, suppose, I mean, I suppose it's difficult. It's like you want to be, you want to be accepted, so you. You, you, you wear what everybody else is wearing. Where, but where at some get, point, somebody's got to be an innovator. Uh, you know, it's got ca- to move on. Kerzo, when did it become a uniform rather than a trend? Because well, you, you've touched on this. You know, you yous were changing weekly almost. You know, every few weeks. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's it now. We're wearing this. <laughs> you know, we're, we're not wearing that for our tracks it anywhere. We're wearing this jacket. It, it, and it, now it's it's the total opposite. Totally. Yeah. Um, and why? Why did that? Basically, when when there became big money in the clothes, it's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Rather than us going and finding stuff and utilising it, you get places like Cruise and Fraser and stuff like that saying, all right, all these fit boys are wearing this, let's bring in that label and push it to them. Sure. You know, and that, that's that's exactly what they did. I mean, that, that, that's only economics, that, that's fine, you know, it's yeah. like, if you realise you've got something that people want to buy, you're going to push it, you're going to push it. Um, but I wonder what it was, you know, in people's minds where they thought, that's fine. You know, why are, why are people <laughs> well, know what you were and striving well, for something well, different? Here's the thing, I mean, at which point did it become the norm for your mum and dad to actually know what a designer label was? You know, yep. but know yep. what you know, Ralph Lauren was. Mm-hmm. Or, I, I don't know. I mean, there must have been some point where light bulbs were going off and it became the norm mm-hmm. for people to wear designer labels rather than the exception. You know, yeah. I mean, as I say, I'm growing up in like the 70s and 80s, it was like, most of my stuff came from like Wisher Market and stuff like uh-huh. that, you know what I mean? It's like, well, that's yeah. it, it was an area where people were, a time when people were skint. Totally, you know? absolutely. You know, you were coming for like three star jumpers and like platforms <laughs> and parlors, you know, the fashion that time forgot um, to this big new world. Um, it disappoints me a bit, you know, we're probably all guilty of my generation. You, you go to football Saturday, you go to a gig, and so many people are wearing the exact same thing. I think there still is that one one upmanship, but yep. the internet's got a huge part to play in that, you know. There, you can't really find stuff now that other people don't have. Unless get, you really well, go searching. 
again, it's like, and I, I feel like a, a grumpy old man for saying it, but I mean, as you get older, your tolerance levels go down and stuff like that. People are like, oh, are you still buying? Are you still? No. But it's not true, <laughs> to be honest with you. Somebody says, like, I'm, I said, no, no, I've, 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 I've not bought anything for ages. And then I actually thought about it, and I still bought like 60 pair of trainers in like the last year and a half. Not only because I was walking past size and I saw something in the window, like, oh, brilliant. You never go out of habit. Yeah. But where it did change. Only 60. <laughs> where it did change for me was. The, the joy for me was yeah. always staying ahead of the game, and that's just the, the casual ethos as well. Guys, like the guys I was, I was talking to you about, um, I'd be speaking to like John Conley down in Liverpool and stuff like that, and we'd be talking, oh, did you have a pair of such and such? Did you have a pair of such and such? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'd love to get them again. And then when eBay came along, uh-huh, there was we there was literally, basically about two to three years where it was shooting in because we realised what needed to be done. All these amazing trainers in Germany were getting loaded on German eBay, but you weren't seeing them because you weren't searching because they weren't offering them for worldwide. And um, they also didn't accept PayPal. It was always bank transfers, which is very expensive to do here. That was just their way of doing it in Germany. It was dead cheap. But we noticed basically if you sent them a wee email in German saying, "I'd like to buy the trainers. Can I send you cash?" Always said yes. Right. So, I mean, literally for a couple of years, we're getting stuff so cheap. I mean, it was like these were. Like, Amazing things, dirt cheap, and they always say you sweeties with them for some reason as well, <laughs> honestly. Um, and then people clicked on that, so that one died. And then it was like the next one to me was Japan. Japan was an untapped market, um, and they don't use eBay, they use Yahoo. Okay. Right? But you're looking on these websites, you're seeing these pictures, like, oh my god, you get them, you get them. A guy down in London offered a service where he would bid on your behalf. In Japanese, you tell them no how way. much you were prepared to go to, he charged you 15%. Even once you factored in the quite expensive shipping costs, you were just getting stuff that nobody else had. Absolutely nobody else had. I had a good run at that for a while. And then it got to the stage where I couldn't go on my computer and bid on anything because people were just sniping me. They were seeing what I was bidding on mm-hmm. and then just sniping me, just putting in a stupid amount and then went to the last minute. Yeah. So I was doing, I was finding the stuff and people and were buying it. it. And then just like, you know what I mean? That's, uh, yeah. that's not what it's about, is it? I know, you know, I know. Don't get me wrong, I mean, there were still things that you could do. It's like, I used to love like, going to Berlin for a weekend, going to Berkheim, like club, and going around the flea markets and still buying yeah. stuff. And it, it's was it, still, was it, it right? still exists to this day. Was it right for Adidas over there? Oh, right. I, I, I basically was on the point of moving to Berlin because I reckoned I could actually make a living doing it for a while. Right. There was so much. Um, and I knew guys over there like, quote and stuff like that really nice guys um, and that's, that's what they were doing um, and obviously Germany being Germany like home Adidas and Puma and stuff like that and uh, you could do it I mean there were so many flea markets um, and that was just Berlin I mean there was other places as yeah. well used to go to Holland um, some of the things that you used to buy it was it was weird but it was like that was the exciting that was the excitement yeah. and then it just kind of got to stage where it was like oh, well, you know so other people are doing it and then people get clued up and they realise that the stuff that they were selling was worth a lot of money which is fair enough you know what I mean um, and, and that, that the, must, the niche party was taken away yeah um, that, that must be hard for you now seeing the prices that some things go for because you, you, you've I, probably I, got you've probably got all that sitting in your house and you wouldn't sell it it's like what it's like, it's like somebody walking into your house and going through your wardrobe and like sell me that, that. No. every single day I get emails and it's like the Instagram thing I've done it f- 
first and like, it was, I was using it as a tool because I didn't really know what I had and I was posting up that people just automatically assume if you put a photograph up it's, like, it's for sale it's not for sale <laughs> that's it's, mine yeah, basically <laughs> um, and I, it's just, I'm actually getting to the stage now but it's like people offer this ridiculous money mm. ridiculous money and there will become a point where it's like right I'm not going to get a chance to wear these anymore. Mm. Might as well. I, I always look at it. It's, it's my pension, <laughs> you know, somewhere, <laughs> somewhere down the line. Yeah. Because I mean, there's absolutely no question about it. The clothes and the trainers and the record worth more in my house and worth more than I could earn. Um, yeah. So um, at some point, at some point, I'll do something about it. <laughs> on, on that note, before before you came, I says bring along some of your pieces that you know are really special to you or that you love that we can talk about or, or you can show off. What, what, what have you brought this with you? Just to show you that the I, I had um, a little clothes label called the Healthy Obsession, right? And it was it was a I loved it. I had a website and I was producing limited edition T-shirts. Um, I get the whole um, printing process doing off part, um, and it was well, it, everything was, it was it was going well. And somebody said to me, it's like, where did the name come from? Healthy Obsession." And That's it was like, literally a conversation <laughs> in the pub, sure. right? Like that. It's like you and your, you and your effing trainers and that. It's like it's, it's, it's an obsession. I'm like, well, it's the way I look at it. It's like it's a healthy obsession. If I wasn't doing that, I'd be rating nuns or something. And the minute it was in my room, but I was like, no, but it's a healthy obsession. And it was a healthy obsession. You know what I mean? It was like it, something that I loved doing, um, but other people couldn't get the head in. Um, but well, this is the thing. No, no. Eh? I'm sure everybody's done these things as well, but people spend it in drinking, drugs, and gambling. Would you know rather spend it in something that you've got to keep? Totally, absolutely. Uh, don't ask me what I was doing buying a loaded magazine in <laughs> two thousand and one. Um, there must have been a reason I bought it, but within it there was a fashion shoot. Sure. Right? And that jacket was in it. Right, okay. And I saw it, I was like, man, that's amazing. It's Digital camouflage shooting. It's, like it's Paul Smith. Right? Yep. So, so tell me about this. This is, I, I love this, Paul Smith, right? So this, R. Newbold. R. Newbold. Was, was it a spin off of Paul Smith? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. R. Newbold, I think, was a, a Nottingham tailor or um, okay. clothes manufacturer back in the day, and Paul Smith used it to do some of these different right. lines. Um, so, immediately, oh, I love that jacket. Love, absolutely love it. Um, didn't have any details other than it was coming out next season. Um, and you look at the price out there, like 169 well, quid. Well, here, here's, here's the thing, it's like, right, where am I going? who does Paul Smith cruise? Nah, I don't know anything about it. Eventually got to the stage where I actually just phoned up Paul Smith himself, and I was like, this digital camouflage jacket. So this is the first time you've seen it was in the first magazine? First time I've seen it was in the magazine. Right. And, like, and again, it's like, I think I've been down to London, went to Paul Smith and Floral Street and, and Nottingham and stuff like that, and they didn't know anything about it. So eventually I just phoned up the Paul Smith office, and it was like, uh, the digital camouflage jacket, the Aaron Newbold one. Yep. Like, Where can I get it? When can I get it? Says, and the girl with the marketing department was like, you can't. I'm like, oh, what do you mean? <laughs> there was a problem with the actual manufacturing process. It's actually a, a reflective scene when you photograph it with yeah. a flash. It becomes reflective. Booms. And there was a problem. Um, so I it was like, right, so it's not coming out. It's like, no. It's like, what about the one in the magazine? <laughs> there, was, there was only three jackets made. Um, One's in the archive, um, the one, um, the photographer got one, and I was like, it still leaves one. She's like, yeah, I was like, let me buy it. <laughs> She's like, no, no, you can't. I was like, why, why no? She's like, I don't know. I was like, well, find out if I can buy it. 
This is like, right, okay, took my number, took my hands back. Literally phoned her every week for six weeks. Just <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Every, every week for six weeks, totally annoying the hell out of her. Where's the jacket? Where's the jacket? What's that? What's that? And there was, I mean, I knew there was a jacket there. And was like, they had one for the archive. And she's like, I've spoken to my boss, you can get the jacket. And I was like, brilliant. And it was like 150 quid. That's what they charged me. And I got in it when it came. But immediately I'm like, nobody's got this. this nobody's going to have this. Apart from the photographer, it was one in the archive. Subsequently, turns out, right, unbeknown to me, there was actually three different colours of jackets made. So, that was the one that was in the shoot. That was another one. Now, the only reason I knew about this was because I get an email from a guy and he's like, I work at Paul Smith in Paris. Um, so we found one of the digital camouflage jackets in another colour in the warehouse. Do you want it? I'm like, aye. Aye? <laughs> How much is that? I said, no, I'll send you it. No way. Send it for nothing. So you're the only person that's got the two then? I don't, I've not seen anybody else that's got this one. Mm. There is actually a third one, right. Right, which I've seen a photograph of. There's one photograph of it on the internet, which is red. It's like, you can imagine Man United, red and black yep. and white. And this guy, um, the casual connoisseur's Dan. Aye, aye. He's going it. Has he? Aye. Uh, and how did, he get, like, how did he get that? I don't know. Right, I, I okay. was, I, again, I think it was through a photographer or something like that. Sure. Um, because it's the, the actual photograph of it is in a, a shoot. Um, and I was like, you might say it, and he's like, nah. <sighs> if you ever, if you ever, uh-huh. you know. But basically, I've since found out there was basically three of each colour made. Okay. So nine jackets in existence, three of which are in the Paul Smith archive. I've got two. So, you know, there's another couple floating about out there. Dan's got one of them. But the chances you bump anybody in the street wearing it. And it's, I still love it. You know what I mean? Even mm-hmm. if there was a hundred people wearing it, I still love the jacket. How often do you wear it? Oh, All basically. Well, if you've ever seen the Casuals documentary, I'm wearing it in that. Any time there's, like, something decent that I've got to dress up, that's, that's, that's what that's you put it. on. Yeah. Um, Paninaro, I did a photo yep. shoot for Paninaro. We wore that one. Absolutely. Um, it's just, you know, you identify with it and it's to see the chances of anybody else. And what happened to the new bold stuff? Did they, did they, they stop still, it? Still, it still kicks about every now and again. I've got, I've got an new bold uh, polo shirt, but it was specific to Japan at one point. Right, okay. They actually had, I mean, everything was geared towards Japan. Sure. I don't know if that's still the case. Um, I don't I don't really know. Um, but no, it, and I say that more, the story about that that's one, amazing. it was just, you know, it's the mindset. It's Aye. just the mindset. Of How like, many people yeah. are going to be phoning every six weeks? You know, that tells you all <laughs> you need to know. It literally was every week. And it got to the stage where initially she was angry and then she thought it was funny and then she was just resigned. She's like, and then, I'm yeah, getting him that jacket. Exactly. Aye. You know, and look, so everybody's got stories about that, about getting stuff, you know. Yep. Basically everybody's got a wee myth story. And again, the trainer's thing, this is this is the myth story. Yeah. Adidas cord. These. these are Adidas cords, right? Now... First time I've ever seen them was in this. Okay. Now these are the same as Adidas jeans, and sure. everybody knew about Adidas jeans. Yep. When I be- seen them there, I thought they were jeans. No, no, they were yeah. going to become Adidas jeans, like five different versions, hugely popular. But I'm looking at them, like, they're amazing, they're kind of love Adidas cord. So, <laughs> through the Terrace Retro boards and stuff, I'm like, they make a pair of Adidas cord. And initially it was like, what are you talking about? Like, and then I posted up the photograph of the, the catalogue. And then a couple of people were saying, oh, I had them back in the day. Like, are you getting any photos? No. Could they produce any evidence? 
So I was like, okay. Taking no, that did, no, but didn't he think about uh, drawer? And I was like, obviously just wasn't very popular. This went on for about 12 years. Basically me becoming more and more obsessed to actually find out the story, not even get up here. It was like, because nobody heard them. Sure. Nobody had a photograph of them. Few people would say, oh, no, I, 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 I did have them. Like, well, you know, you say that. But it wasn't anybody I knew, so, yeah. you know. And then, just... And this is I, just for seeing them in this magazine. It was like, they looked amazing, you know, it was like these jeans. And again, it's just the mentality. It was like, I need to find out about these. Um, and it became, that actually became known for it because basically everywhere <laughs> again, like, I'd have a, a search up on uh, eBay. Um, and, but, you know, because obviously you're not reaching everybody. No, no everybody knows you're looking for them. But the people who were that group of like trainer collectors or, or whatever, everybody knew it and it became known and Discord and mythical Discord and even to the stage of getting people to my pal Helen, she was basically headed Puma and she used to work for Exposure who were this is PR and she's asking questions and nobody knew. And eventually go to the stage like I've just got to realise like I'm no getting they, they must have not come out. Yeah. You know, it was like they missed maybe, you know, or maybe even just come out for like half a season or something like that. I just died of death because the jeans were popular. And then just out the blue, a guy sent me a, a, an email and he's like, I've got a pair of these cords. I'm like, oh, right, right, okay. <laughs> because the Adidas did do another one, which was basically a corduroy trait of horrible skate shoe type thing. Yeah. I'm like, right, okay. And he sent me a photo. And I was like, ah. Now, <laughs> Who was he? No idea. Guy from Yorkshire. Right. Again, to this day, I don't know. It's just one of those stories that yep. you couldn't make it up. Um, he obviously... I, quite how he got my email I don't know but he didn't post on any of the websites or anything like that um, and they look brand new well no, here's the thing it's like my big thing with trainers I never ever ever paid big money for trainers never you know at one point uh, you know it was like years before I even paid 100 quid for a pair of trainers mm -hmm. I just wouldn't do it you know, I didn't feel the need to do it I, mean, I know people were paying stupid money for you know things and that. well that's fair enough that's mm -hmm. what I do but my enjoyment was actually trying doing things and getting them cheap yeah um, these were the one pair of trainers that, no matter what he'd have said, I would have paid it. You know, just to actually finally put an end to it, like, I've got them. Because this was the thing, I was like, what size are they? Like, seven hundred. Oh, What's the, the chances? chances? Yeah. Um, and then I just put it out there, I was like, what are you looking for them? He's like, I prefer a swap. <laughs> anything, anything you want. He's like, have you got a pair of Adidas Madrids? I'm like, the reissues that came out a couple of years ago. Uh, I bought two pairs for 20 quid. I was like, yeah. And that, that, he's like, eh? Literally swapped them for a 20 pound pair of trainers. <laughs> <laughs> what is the chances? But they made bids to him probably. Well, this is something. the thing, it's like, I didn't even get the chance to say, where did you get them? How did you get them? It, it, it was the moment had passed. <laughs> and it's just normally the way with these things, once I get a pair, within a matter of months, uh, G Bonnet, sorry, yeah. The 80s casuals. Yeah. He turned up a pair. He paid big money for them. Sure. Robert Brooks, you know, Brooks is like the, the collector yeah. for London. He turned up a pair. Is he involved with specials now? Or? I would say yeah. Rob, yeah. Robert's yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Robert's yeah. a personality. You know, right. I mean, guys. So it's, it's the nicest guy in the sure. world, honest to God. Um, Ron Robert, God knows how many years now. Um, and but, but they start but, but, just, but, but no to this day I mean it's probably still single figures which is Aye. unheard of you know so so and these, and then, these I, are for seven eight we issued them last year Aye. these are the seven eight ones yeah and yeah. they look brand new 
very but good. But I've been loads of times. Oh. The first thing I did was I actually wore them. I think mother were playing a semi final or something, and oh. I wore them in Hamden. Um, <laughs> so that's that's the mythical story of Adidas Corp. That's that amazing. Everybody knew about that, you know. I love it. And it's like there's, there's so many stories you could write a book, and probably will at some point. And I suppose to a certain extent, you, you helped write the book with the dressers one as well. You know, the, the amount of your collection that's featured in, in there yeah. is is incredible. Yeah. 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 Now that was that was a leaving of love with Ricky Matt and me. I must admit, it was like, I mean, it was full on at times, and there was times we thought we're not going to get it done, and then there was obviously the, the bad press, um, <laughs> which which probably the best thing that could happen because we went back and revised a few things and really, right, okay. but I mean, it's nuts. I mean, fair, I mean, Ricky Bank rolled the whole thing, obviously, and even at one point it looked as though it wasn't actually going to get printed because it was in Latvia or something like that. It was getting printed. Um, and then sold it like they were going for like hundreds of pounds on, on eBay, you know. Uh, so. uh, I've only one copy myself. <laughs> one copy. But you'd never part with it. No. <laughs> you know, and, and I think this is the thing, like, yourself, you know, you, you know, your wardrobe, the Saturday service, the dressers book, it's all now very synonymous with this scene, you know, it's, it's really, really up there. It's the top of the game stuff. <laughs> um, for these wee boys, for Bell's Hill and totally. Jeremy. And that, that's, that's the thing. You know? uh, that, that is the thing. It's like, that's what it all comes down to for me. Working class, rest of Scotland kids, you know what I mean? It's right. like, um, it just shows you. But I mean, it's, it's, it's stories of that, you know yourself. It's like, you know, whether they're promoters or DJs or music producers, it's like basically, it's like Maggie's, Maggie's generation, pull yourself up with the bootstraps, you know? That's it. Um, you had to do it. You had to do it. Uh, I, I uh, think you'll, you'll maybe disagree, Kazo, but I think there's so many similarities now to, to what there was back then when you were coming through. You know, we're, we're going through a, a time just now where folk are talking about cost of living crisis. You know, there's not a lot happening. But this area still has so many people who are punching well above their weight. Totally. You know? Um, it, 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 yeah, I mean, it, it takes um, hard times to actually get people to do stuff, you know, it's like everything else, you become comfortable, you know, yeah. it's like, um, I mean, I remember when I first started work, I actually done a commercial apprenticeship with British Steel, and I get made redundant, mm-hmm. um, and it was like, it bothered the slightest about that time, I'd done civil service entrance exams and moved out to London and worked for Cosmonites, I was like, London, ah, great, you know what I mean, now yeah. it's like, I'd be terrified, yeah. I would hate to be a, a youngster of the day, pure and simply because you look a bit, how much money it takes to buy a house and stuff like that. Absolutely. It's frightening. Yeah. It's absolutely frightening. And there's so much competition for everything. Um, but it's, it's a very, very, very changed uh, world from the one we grew up in, you know, like phones. I mean, it's like, I work in a city centre and it's like literally the whole world walks with a phone in front of them. Aye. It's crazy. crazy. If you could take one thing right for the 80s uh-huh. and bring it to now that doesn't really happen or doesn't exist, what would you bring for, for your upbringing to now? Um, what would be your advice, Pete? So, I'll be honest with you, it's, it's got to be the whole social aspect of it because when I was 16, 17, 18, living in Belksill, there literally was five nightclubs. We were at Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Right? I don't know how we managed it money-wise, but everybody knew everybody else. And yeah. it's like, you know, now it's like... There isn't even a pub in Belsall that I, I would go to. Yeah, um, it's a shame. You know, it, totally, that, yeah. that, that's the thing. Um, people are social on media, aye, yeah. as opposed to li- literally talking, talk, you know, aye. it's like the whole Facebook, friends, you know, your pals, you know. So, um, and that, that's the thing, it's like basically everybody's become so insulated. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah. It's almost like the, the world is now smaller, but you couldn't be further away from people. Absolutely. You know? Totally. Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, it's a generation of people who, or the youngsters that don't travel, they don't, they don't go places. It's like, I mean, uh, like, um, they need to get them selling uh, some, some trips with Jervie over to, <laughs> over to Denmark, <laughs> come back with a few pair of trainers. But I mean, I, I'm guilty of it myself, you know, it's like, even like the other week. Um, uh, the puncture, I had actually I had to get a bus to Mother when I was like, I was like, how do you do this Exploring. again? Exploring. How do you do this again, you know? Um, uh, but you do, you, you, you become too comfortable. Um, and obviously, I think I'm at an age now where it's like, I've deserved it, I've paid my dues. Uh, it's like, same with the football, you know, like you still going to football. It's a thought. And you still do it, you know, because it's habit, but it's like, it's getting harder and harder. Uh, <laughs> but there's, there's something quite nice about still going. The football games now and again and seeing the same folk you've seen 30 years ago you Aye. know same people still pals don't get me wrong some have came and gone Aye. you know passed on whatever some yeah. people just don't go anymore but there's so many folk that you've grown up with that are still best there. times of my life you know mm-hmm. it's like especially like the, the, the trips abroad you know and it's like all <laughs> 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 this stuff you can't even talk about but it's like never to be forgotten um, and again it's like I don't even know that those will happen again maybe they will maybe they won't but like, I'm getting to the age now but it's like it was like 40th and 50th, went to my first 60th of my mates. <laughs> Scary, d- 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 in England. <laughs> um, and it was like, you're looking at them, uh, my God. And, and like, they're probably looking at me saying, saying oh God, you look old. You just look old, you know. Um, and it is, it's like, it's, it's a wee bit, it's a wee bit frightening. Um, but, nah, it's kind of, the, the, one, the one thing more than anything else I'm, I'm happy about is like, we pretty much done all we wanted today. It was like, mm-hmm. because, you know, Certainly my parents' generation, um, we moved on so, so much, so far um, from from the lives that they led in the west of Scotland, um, sure. to what I mean, it's like, obviously every, everybody of our generation, it's world travelled now, yep. you know, um, and that, that more than anything else opens up the mind. Um, so nah, I think I think we had the best time it to be honest. Aye. I would I wouldn't like to be a teenager. I actually agree with you. I agree with yeah. one of my mates, Keith, that plays in the band with he he always says, you know, he's born a generation too late. And it, uh, I think a lot of that strikes home with me as well, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean there's still opportunities to have good times, but um certainly no groundbreaking. Aye, exactly. Uh, Maybe the best is yet to come. Thanks to everyone who has watched or listened to this episode of the podcast. Uh, please go back and check out some previous episodes and if you've enjoyed it, like and subscribe. Cheers.